everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Stock. This is a continuation of the previous episodes. Uh, at the end of it, we open the floor to questions or interactions with the community. And uh, at the start of this episode, you'll hear me open that floor and then we get into some fantastic conversations. So I hope you all enjoy it and I'll let myself uh, take it away. We can definitely open the floor to the community if anyone wants to put their hands up, uh, ask questions, ask them about the DTC, CD and Co, uh, about direct registration, about plans, um, if there's anything that didn't fully make sense or maybe you missed it, whatever, we're happy to repeat ourselves. We've been, we've been doing it the whole time. We're going to keep banging our pots and repeating ourselves for a long time coming too. Um, but yeah, it's a huge topic, so it's uh, very reasonable for for people to kind of kind of still have curiosities or need clarifications on things. Like we try and bring as much information as we can. Sometimes maybe it's too much, uh, but uh, we're we're always trying to work on ways of making like the information as accessible as possible. Uh, like I think the slides that that Lawson did both for for the previous. Peruvian bull videos um, and even the the two little ones we we've got in the nest and the show notes um, for this episode uh, just lay things out in a very easy to digest way. Um, I'm hoping with this this next one with the the fee structures and stuff, it'll be interesting to see a little graph of like if the increasing dollar amount you invest versus percentage of fee take on. It'd be really interesting to see how that curve changes if it's linear or log or whatever um yeah that that kind of stuff it just makes a lot more sense to me um rather than trying to do all the maths in your head but uh but yeah i'm not seeing any hands up uh, i'll be honest so don't be shy guys <laughs> yeah like there are there are no stupid and, questions and ladies yeah, everybody. However you identify, we're we're here. We love to answer questions. That we there are literally no stupid questions about this. Um, like we have people coming to us all the time. Like, oh yeah, I'm really smooth. But what do you think of this? And half the time, it's stuff that's uh, kind of news to us or helps us refine our ideas. So it's uh, it's an amazing like collaborative learning process. Uh, and um, I mean. Uh, I definitely recognise some people from our from our Discord server, but um, if you guys, if if anyone else um, in the listening now or later um, want to kind of come and ask us questions later, we we are always active on our Discord. Uh, it's brimming with research at the moment. People reading just so many documents I never knew existed. Um, as well as our efforts of building our database. Um, actually, we didn't have our usual uh, database update from Charles at the start of this episode, but we'll, we'll get back to that next episode, I think, because um, uh, hopefully going forward, we're going to have more stuff uh, about what we're trying to do to help. We've kind of covered a lot of educational subjects and um, when it's all about DRS, there's only so much you can cover. I'm sure people can talk options forever because it's, practically i don't know it's just doing ta and stuff is all horoscopes to me you, you can talk and talk and talk but uh 
Um, but yeah, uh, hopefully we'll have more people coming up, letting us know what you want us to be working on and focusing on as well. Um, so literally, we're we're here to hear anything from you guys. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, but yeah, we've got Hulkster, Hulkster putting his hand up. Uh, I've I think I brought you up, or did it cancel out? No, you got me. Oh, you go. yeah. Hey. I just wanted to come up and thank you. Uh, your space has been very informational. Uh, very helpful. You touch on a lot of things that uh, a lot of the guys that host the other spaces are scared to touch on. Um, and I just wanted to tell you, keep doing it, man. Y'all are doing great. Really appreciate you. Oh, that's very kind of you. We we appreciate the support. That that stuff helps keep us going for sure. Um, I'm I'm curious. What are the things you said? Some some other space hosts are scared to talk about certain things. Well, I, I liked how you brought up the, the point of the options and how it is actually being used against us by just stealing the premiums to keep the short positions going. And a lot of yeah. these other spaces I listen to, it's almost like they encourage people to buy options, you know, which I, I, I'd be the first one to speak up and say, you're, you're getting, you're getting robbed when you do it. So I, I just I really respect y'all for for speaking on certain things like that. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate it. I mean, yeah, even as someone who knows nothing about options, uh, even I know what you mean when you're saying they're using the premiums to keep up the shorts. Like, yeah, people have been essentially rug pulled time and time again, um, usually with hype dates or people hyping them up in general, saying like, yeah, it will pop, it will pop. And yeah, I mean, I've experienced someone firsthand uh, dipping their toe into options and it backfiring on them massively uh, to the point of them kind of giving up altogether. Uh, and I don't blame them. Like leverage is a hell of a drug. I think like seeing those quick instant gains similar with a lot of crypto scams that are out there, um, they, they, they draw you in with that uh kind of like you you'll get this really big dopamine hit real quick that instant gratification uh and yeah it's the oldest trick in the book or practically um six days did you want to chime in with something yeah just just talking about prices and hype dates and things uh, honestly i don't want to speak for everybody that's a, a speaker here but i don't even normally look at the price you know i'm usually doing so many other things that I, you know, I glance at it here and there. I might look at the market, but I used to always look at it at 930 and four and a bunch of times in between, but I'm usually doing so many other things that are actually productive, you know, to bring education and uh, it's just, it's more entertaining than the price. The price is, I know I like the company. I know I like the shares and uh, there's a lot of other things that I can work on. I mean, we know the price is completely separated from the fundamentals of the company at this point as it has been for a long time um for better and worse <laughs> but uh yeah i i stopped watching the ticker myself uh i think in 2022 uh i actually had to log into all of my brokers the other day because i was like oh god when was the last time i logged in i need to like make sure my account's still active i don't want them closing that down on me because uh, like I opened a whole bunch of broker accounts um, in, well, yeah, 
I think it was 2022 as well, but uh, early 2022 when I was trying to figure out DRS and I was like, well, how many English brokers could there be? I'm just going to open a bunch and see if they can DRS. It's the only way I can ask this question. Uh, and the answer was one, one <laughs> out of all of them. Uh, and they, they managed to muck it up and uh, I filed a complaint and everything. It was uh, a whole thing. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's so much better for my mental health, not staring at the ticker and trying to guess what's behind every little candle movement up and down. Because, um, yeah, I think they play people play on that a lot as well, especially with the TA stuff. Like, oh, if it moves this way, then it means it's going to move that way. Uh, and yeah, the reality is it's all all in hindsight. It makes sense. They'll they'll pick the right shape to predict what ended up happening. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know how accurate the, these people are that do the TA stuff all the time. But um, yeah, like Six Days said, spending my time, like this is how I got the broker guides together. I was just like, yeah, I could spend all my all my time logging in to my broker, checking the ticker over and over again, seeing what happens, or I can, yeah, get something productive done and the movements will happen no matter what like if something crazy happens we're all gonna hear about it like no one's not gonna hear about it but uh yeah lawson did you want to say something i just wanted to comment on the technical analysis or ta i know some people are really into it but um you know as an academic the finance phd uh, the only good ta out there that i'm aware of is the tna and it's a joke, but I really have not seen any academic studies, you know, prove that this really is a signal of this to come. So just food for thought. Absolutely. And that reminds me as well. I um, remember you saying this was a long time ago <laughs> now, like, well, in 2021, 2022, like reading Trimbath's book, it's, it makes it clear that the typical um price discovery formulas of, of uh, supply and demand are completely rendered in, like useless because of the manipulation going on by shorting and options and hedge funds and people who say, yeah, we set the price that we think is fair for, for each stock. And it's like, uh, how can you say that on television and that be legal? <laughs> That's um, been the hardest thing for me, um, you know, the last three years, this it's DRS, GameStop, all this stuff has really opened my eyes to the amount of corruption out there. I taught valuation models for 15 years, you know, discounted cash flow valuations, free cash flow valuations. And you, you run some model and it says, okay, this is where the stock should be trading based on fundamentals. And if that price comes in low, then, you know, the stock's overvalued. If it comes in high, oh, it's undervalued. And then supply and demand follows, right? Based on when the market realizes it's undervalued or overvalued. But we've shown with GameStop, the demand has been up there, but yet the price has not, you know, acted accordingly. And that's been um, it's been a real hard pill to swallow. Uh, it's a uh, you know, the, think about teaching the valuation models for 15 years. Like, well. <laughs> I was missing a key component, the, all that uh, excess supply, the fake supply of the phantom shares. It's 
I didn't know about that three years ago. This has been a you know rude awakening. Yeah, we we just became old enough to realize our controller hasn't been plugged in, and uh, it's it's been harsh to realize that. But you know, we're we're doing everything we can to spread the information out there, uh, so that more and more investors every day can wake up to this unfortunate reality and uh, take advantage of the few avenues that we have. As Lawson mentioned, DRS is a right that we have as shareholders um, and uh, and move forward and build a better market in the future. Yeah. Take back what is rightfully ours. Like, literally, we paid for it. <laughs> uh, and, I, yeah, I think it's such a simple thing, but it is uh, the very what should be the very fundamental of the market uh, and the market structure, but it's been removed. And uh, yeah, it was all done right under our noses without them letting on at all. It's the whole, the greatest trick the devil played was uh, convincing the world he didn't exist. Um, and they've got that down to a T. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I literally just taking it back, it, it pulls it all back uh as i i saw larry cheng tweet the other day the the consumer is two-thirds of the entire market like we are the majority we are the vast majority that underpins the whole of wall street like the the short hedge funds the billionaires that run them uh they they get their paycheck by exploiting us at our you know investments and if largely our pensions like uh you know, anyone who earns a wage and pays taxes, uh, at least in England, I, I figure it's similar in America, gets a state pension. Um, and uh, they, <laughs> yeah, just play around with it uh, at our risk. Uh, so, yeah, um, whether you like it or not, it's happening to you. Um, but, yeah, hopefully we can get this message out to more people. Um, and actually, we've got uh, one of our favourite uh guests john Newton asking to come up i've just uh brought him up to speak hey john did you have something to to say yeah it's interesting you know i think that everyone started with the best intentions in mind in trying to get away from this old paper system and you know digitize things before people even had computers and you know it seems almost parallel to the the challenges that arose with some of the first banks, right? Like the intentions were originally good. You know, people decided that gold was going to be a good store of value back, you know, way long, long time ago. And that was what they used to trade. And, and, you know, the banks issuing the paper notes that were redeemable for gold, it was like originally this great thing that had a lot of real utility benefits for, you know, back in the day when people were trading goods for, for what everyone used as kind of a form of money. And they, and then of course, over time, the bankers realize that they can just, you know, print more of these pieces of paper and people will think that they have the gold. And, and, you know, everybody's not going to withdraw their gold at the same time. And, and over time, that leads to the adoption of what is, what, you know, a lot of people think there are a lot of problems with fractional reserve banking. And it's all kind of based on this idea that you have these these banks, for instance, these financial institutions that you trust to take care of the, the nuances and of the financial accounting. 
And that, you know, it starts off like that and they do fine for the first, you know, 10, 20, 50 years of banks. It wasn't really, I, I mean, for, from what I can tell, it worked pretty well for everybody. Banking is so interesting because you can have everyone put your money into an institution and the institution lends that money to someone else. And the person that lends, that put, deposits the money gets interest. The person that gets a loan, he can, you know, you can go and start your business and make money and pay back the money. So that person makes money and then the bank makes money from interest. It's like this weird conundrum of one of the only like free rides, I'd say, where everybody makes money in the system. Um, and I draw the parallel to banking because I see the exact same thing. And, and let me know what you guys think with how once we started digitizing these stock certificates, the and the brokers, you know, there's these the interview with. I think there's one with Trimbath and then I know there's one with Commissaire where she talks about like 70% of Goldman Sachs income in two, uh, one of the in, came in a year came from securities lending uh, just as an example. And, and people don't understand the securities lending is, is this huge industry where just like the banks are making money off of lending out the money and, and to deposit to you know, people that borrow through loans and and they can lend out more money than they have and and you know nowadays with the with the reserve ratio at nil it's it's kind of unbelievable they i mean literally they give a loan and it just prints money out of thin air and and you see the debasing of the dollar as an example some people point that out and there you know more money printed recently than ever before and and it's because you know, over time these these institutions that we gave the power to to make our lives easier certainly with the paper notes and electronic funds transfers, for instance, uh, checks, you know, made life easier. But but they gave these trusts to these central institutions uh, in the banking sector. And I think we can sort of see over the past 50 years the same thing happening in the brokerage industry, right? So we all went to these trusted institutions and they, they did all our portfolio management and and they did a good job at it. They built up the trust. But in the 90s, they realized that they could borrow stock and charge interest on it. Like they're giving it out for the loan for the short sellers, you know, so you loan it to them and they market sell it. And, and that's kind of the whole, the whole rehypothecation could, could talk on that for some more, but, but the crux of the matter is that suddenly they realized that they don't have to actually deliver the shares to DTCC. And it just, it, it starts slowly in the 90s and it ramps up and it ramps up into the 2000s. And that's when we see the proliferation in the obvious, uh, I mean, there's dozens of case studies we could go through of companies that have public SEC complaints on, on the naked shorting. And, and the, the problem is that, that now these brokers are sort of in a position that the banks were in, where the, you know, eventually the government steps in after a few hundred years or maybe even sooner. Um, in the early, early days of banking, and it says, okay, well, we're going to regulate this and give you this, this power that, that is, that is very much, you see, you see the political implications with the banks all being part of the, their countries, right? I mean, they, they are really a, a core part of the entire political system is how do you control that money supply? And, and they just decided, okay, we're going to let these guys do it. They have to follow this set of rules. And the problem is that all of the, the market infrastructure in securities 
came out, and let me know what you guys think, it comes from that everybody trusting the DTCC, which is a private monopoly, which was originally owned by banks, brokers, exchanges, custodians. And and the private monopoly didn't have, I don't think, as much original government oversight. And certainly you can see through some of their SRO filings in the early 2000s, where there was extensive pushback from transfer agents on some questionable rules. There and the government just uh, the SEC, you know, you prove the SRO filings because what are you going to do? There's one monopoly. It's not like there's different banks you can go to, different different lenders to speak to say. I mean, it, it's all this sort of this one place where all these problems proliferate, and and so I mean, let me know what you think, but I I think on on your note there with sort of how we we've stumbled onto some of us learning now that the whole system is is really flawed in that it just straight up prefers profits over accuracy. Um, there's this this great quote from Trimbath. She was um, she was talking to one of her senior managers at DTCC and asked about sort of all these problems in the 90s with the fails to deliver and the shares that were being printed out of thin air. And, you know, she said, well, what's with all these problems? And the manager says, you can't balance the world. And that was the excuse that they used. That was the excuse they gave the regulators. And it's proliferated into the Swiss cheese of, you know, loopholes in reg show that they used to perpetuate this fraud of creating, you know, Fox assets out of thin air and loaning them out for real money. And... And we see the effects of it with everyone here. You know, all of our positions are diluted. There's this artificial selling pressure from shares that don't really exist because these institutions borrow them and they short. And, and there's case studies of, of companies that have, you know, gone under. Uh, Eagle Tech comes to mind on that side of things. And, and, and why? It's so that these, these big institutions can, can up those profits, you know, make the Wall Street returns better than ever before because they – and, so, and, and, and then the worst part is that the ones that profit from the system are the ones that, that regulate and, and are the board of directors on, on DTCC. That's the thing, John. Everything that's been created that has been, you know, uh, developed to do good, there's always bad actors that come in and find a way to exploit it, either through greed or evil or some kind of nefarious act, and they use it to their advantage to to rob people. And, and it's it's I see it I see it through the stock market. I see it in crypto. I'm even seeing it in GoFundMe now and YouTube. Channels. Oh my gosh! Like they are they are. Scamming everybody out of their money. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I mean that. It's well said, John. Uh, every bit of that. I I think you're dead on in terms of, you know, where there's a lot of utility in having this centralized place where you can uh, make lending easier, simpler, kind of grease the wheels, as it were, for a community to uh, develop itself and create growth, create jobs. Uh, that's what banking was initially supposed to do. And what you have when you when you centrally trust this single entity and you consolidate power is, you know, maybe initially the person who uh, you're trusting behind that institution, you know, is deserving of that trust. But a generation or two goes by, individuals uh, acquire that power and responsibility, which did not earn it. 
and but they still have that same level of of you know power when it comes to using that responsibility and then of course yeah in the case of the banks they can uh hand out more money than they own zero percent fractional reserve rate today we're coming up on for the four-year anniversary of that in just uh six short weeks uh same thing with the dtcc uh just standing by and allowing its members to uh and basically being complicit in that same kind of deal with stocks uh, and you know 50 years ago when they were founded there was logical uh, logical reasons to move to a central model and dematerialize. There were massive uh, security issues, people getting hurt, people uh, losing out. Uh, you know, with all this paperwork on Wall Street, we've done episodes about that in the past, so I won't get into it. But point being, it's the same vulnerabilities over and over again. And as uh, Hulk just pointed out, that I I mean, ultimately. Whether or not it's not a part of a human condition, something that some humans are just capable of and others aren't, whatever seems to happen where these centralized groups get together and the, and it's not cream rising to the top, I guess is what I'll say about that. Um, so <laughs> you get that one. I think we have some, some hope, right? That we are uh, for alternative solutions in the future. Uh, Hulk mentioned crypto. There are There's a lot of centralization in crypto also, like with FTX, where a similar sort of thing happens, um, Ponzi-esque redistribution of funds in ways that uh, people using the service are not anticipating. What we need is more transparency and we need more distribution of power in these uh, distributed systems so that you're not opening yourself up to the liability of a single or small group of nefarious actors uh, using their lopsided access to power and influence to profit and hurt the system as a result. Uh, I think we have the technology to get there. The distributed ledger is an incredible invention, uh, but it, there's certainly growing pains. And right now we are, at least we're able to diagnose the problem. Also, I think um, someone else came asked to come up as speaker. So I don't know if they had something to throw in as well. Um, but yeah, this is some great conversation and it's stuff I'm sure a lot of us agree with and it's why we're here um and like yeah web3 technology and the the way that all, all these kind of layer two uh coins are going with the interoperability interoperability i always choose these big words and i can't say that <laughs> but uh okay. the way it's all going there, there seems to be it's not a walled garden uh anymore and there will be all this kind of transparency and uh I, I want to say fluidity between all these environments, um, which has kind of built up in the centralized banking world, while they've kind of made it appear that there are, there is fluidity there. You know, you've got uh, the what looks like instant settlement when someone sends you money from bank account to bank account, but it's all made up. It still takes three days, <laughs> and they're they're just playing with the big old pool of money that they have. Um, so yeah i'm very excited to see what some real accountability can do uh for everyone involved like uh well, i think you're taking the first step and the first step is educating people on the manipulation and the scams and and the fraudulent activities that are taking place i, I think that that is a big one moving forward so that the people of of you know the kids that come after us they don't get taken advantage of the way we did you know, and, and I really respect what you're trying to do. And it just I just want to encourage you to keep doing it. 
Can't stop, won't stop. No worries there. Yeah, thank you. Sorry, my phone froze up real bad. <laughs> I was like, am I live? Am I not? Um, but yeah, no, like I'm, I'm always so focused on people of today to try and reach out and convert, as it were. But you're right, there, there are generations that will be, co be coming after us um, that are also aware of just how bad the system is because it's been a lot more obvious for them growing up than it was for well for me uh to a certain extent and for people before uh i'm sure uh because yeah as as has been discussed a lot of these things and problems and issues that, that we've all taken now uh have come up over time and it's really hitting that head now we're really like hitting that peak roman empire with <laughs> the the haves and have nots or the peak uh, French Revolution moment where we, you know, I I would love uh, for, a, you know, maybe a more civil, less, less violent, but a Bastille Day of sorts just to, oh, my God, it's getting so ridiculous. And they, they don't listen to reason. But this is this is my way of doing it. It's not Occupy Wall Street. They don't listen to empathy. We're going to de-occupy Wall Street, as uh, a, a smart man once said. Um, because we're we're just taking our toys and going home, and they can't play with our and, and abuse our shit anymore. Um, but yes, uh, before we get to you, Lawson, I think Wicked came up. They had something to say. Wicked big fraud. <laughs> Did you want to chime in with something? Oh no, they've gone back to listener, and I've got my glasses on and everything. Never mind. Um, <laughs> I can't blame it on not having those on. Lawson, did you want to say something? Yeah, I was just, um, with the stuff you guys were talking about, um, you know, I think a lot of major changes in financial markets or anything in general come about by necessity. You know, when things went to our central depository, it was a result of, you know, the brokers not being able to keep up with the paperwork you know, and then that immobilization, dematerialization occurred. And what I was hoping, thinking that as more and more people DRS, it would force things to change. And, you know, when we looked at the stockholder list over the summer, there was 181,000 individuals that have directly registered their shares. And I think that's like, that gives me more hope some, on some days than others. You know, 181,000 of us that have done this. And that's really hard to ignore. I agree education is important. And the more people, you know, complaining to whoever is going to help, but it seems like major changes are, are going to occur out of necessity. And I'm hoping the amount of people directly registering is going to, is going to make that change is going to necessitate it. You know, that's all I wanted to say. It definitely feels that like a good step between this kind of I don't know, feels a bit reductive to put it this way, but like from Web two to Web three in terms of technology, uh, going from this centralized situation where we don't own anything to a decentralized situation where we do actually own our digital assets. Um, and I, I mean, in my dream of dreams, that inv involves our information, like all this stuff that we're signing over to a, every website that begs for uh, cookies and whatnot. Um, so it's, yeah. Um, 
feels like a it, yeah it feels like the closest thing we can get to within the current system uh and therefore the perfect way in my opinion so like uh transfer to that next system um because i i've said it before but like if say for a, if a company they were trading on uh for the current exchanges right now if they were to go right we're going to tokenize our stock remove ourselves from this market and go to a, you know a decentralized market um the people who are directly registered are going to be first in line like our names are on the list like you you go to the club and if your name's on the list you're in no question but then everyone else is just under miscellaneous and uh it's it's just down to the bouncer or broker to be like yeah you're cool you can have some or the, the, like they might go yeah you know what you're probably not going to sue us you can you can go away we'll just pay you off uh and some people probably won't even complain because that's the level of uh like apathy that that's kind of been drilled into people um by you know by these corporations trying to hold on to their money it, it's such such an abusive relationship anyway <laughs> but, i mean there are real problems there i mean you hit it on the head vivid that there is like legit challenge like you mentioned suing okay well the brokers are all part of finra right so finra's an sro DTCC is an SRO. It's not like you can actually take these guys to court. And then certainly the a lot of people here are familiar with the great taking and some of the problems with Section 8 of the UCC, which basically says that even if you do get the broker to fess up and because uh, it's interesting. I mean, you look at some of the the unshareholder movement in, of sort of 2004 to 2007 with CMKM, like the, the brokers just sent letters of, yeah, I, I mean, it was an edge case, but but they just kind of blanket denied it. And the case is still the suits against the brokers in the case where those investors who should have had shares at the broker, but then the company went bankrupt and there was the naked shorting and they had uh, these entitlements, the securities entitlements. And they never, you know, they tried to register the shares. Um, and it was a, it was certainly a little more nuanced because the company was going through um, through difficulties. But in in that case, you know, the brokers just stonewalled these investors, basically. And I think we see some of that now with investors trying to DRS their IRAs for GME. And it, if they stonewall you, what's the action? For, for CMKM, the action for the investors was suit. And those suits, I mean, they went into the 2020s and, and still it was it was sort of all ignored as worth of securities in that instance because of the circumstances there. But if you look at the at the details of of sort of the, the laws that you would sue these guys over, a lot of it comes down to to the definition of the securities entitlements, as you guys know, um, in in UCC Section 8, because there's no federal law preempting it. And if the broker goes bust, then the creditors of the, you know, the, the institutions that that lent money to the the broker they, as, as certainly a lot of people know, I mean, they have, um, like the brokers, creditors have priority to your portfolio stocks. So if, if uh, Robinhood goes bust in a week and they have a bunch of debt, th those, you know, people that loan Robinhood money have legal right under Section 8 of the UCC 
to basically liquidate your your portfolio at Robinhood. They can the, the, Robinhood have to liquidate it if through bankruptcy proceeding. And, and thankfully, um, and, and and there's an interesting example of this in 2007 when it happened, but it was sort of on an institutional scale. Um, but under under UCC Section Eight, right? They can sell those assets and it doesn't go to you in the bankruptcy. It goes to the broker's creditors first. And so if it does come down to that, I mean, I think certainly we're going to see that as we referenced in December, there's sort of this rush to the door as soon as there's the first company to, to really get all the shares on their own books again, which, you know, looks like it'll be GME, at least on the widespread public scale. As soon as that happens, now all of a sudden, I think really there's an interesting paper um, about the DTCC's path to monopoly that came out of the University of Cornell, or and um, and they talk about these industries where monopolies come, you know, they they surface, and it's 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 quite similar to to some of the insurance cases. But if you think about like AIG, for example, like this is a systemically important part of the the whole capital market system. And certainly part of the American system is the most advanced, developed and liquid capital market on the planet. And I, th- I think, let me know what you guys think. I, th- I think, and this, this paper is very interesting. It talks about how, you know, eventually these guys become too big to fail, as we're all familiar with, drawing back to the banking example. And now all of a sudden, if you want to, if you want the whole system not to collapse, what do you need in the case of crisis? What do you need in the case of people realizing that there's not enough GameStop shares to go around? It becomes a government bailout. I think of DTCCC. Oh, geez, a little late in the day. Um, but but do, do you guys understand what I'm saying there? Does that does that make sense? Do, do you guys follow sort of the train of logic there? Because it, it's it's technical legal stuff, but it's it's got real implications. Well, I'm I'm definitely at least for for me following along with you and appreciative of you know the correctly identifying the seriousness of this you know graduated uh, access to the capital when you're holding through some of these other uh, measures outside of your own name. Uh, what I wanted to do was was back you up by also mentioning that, you know, a lot of folks, they might be more comfortable even hearing all this to hold through a registered domestic broker because they've got that SIPC insurance to lean back on. Maybe they're thinking, well, you know, even if my broker is one of these bad actors who's complicit and over leveraged and something happens where, uh, you know, they they go under, I've still got up to my 250K I just want to mention quickly that there's actually an exception, little known exception to SIPC payouts, where if the broker is found to have been operating as a Ponzi scheme, and that's something that SIPC decides on their own, but they have decided in the past, you know, where if a broker's over leveraged due to uh, writing more share entitlements than what they should have, that can be classified as a Ponzi. And what happens then is people don't get paid. One more reason to seek out self-custodial security uh, for your securities and hold through DRS. Yeah, you don't need insurance when you've got it locked up safe on your own. And like, even if the transfer agent was to suddenly disappear overnight, the company still has the ledger with your name on it with exactly how many shares you own. So uh, it's, yeah, it's the best insurance you can get. and it's called transparency. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, 
Chad, did you want to I'm say something? I'm totally with you, Chives. Just one thing on the insurance, and then by all means, I'll, I'll hand it right back to you, Vivek. Um, but just, you know, I mentioned the bailout thing and, and maybe it's, maybe it's SIPC, maybe it's CTCC, because I don't think there's enough money in SIPC if this goes down to cover what will happen. You know, the original dues for SIPC were a little over a hundred bucks a year and, and eventually they transitioned it more, more oh, like oh, Definitely not, John. It, definitely not, John. Not only are there not enough. Yeah. Just to, just to, not only are there not enough, but the SIPC already used the majority of what it had for the the bank failures that happened last year in March. So it's like so far away from even close to being a fraction of enough uh, after what they've already been through. But either way, I'm sure they'd be seeking to apply that exception if it was even remotely relevant. Chad, did you want to chime in with something real quick there? I see you got your hand up. Hey, hey, yeah, Vivek. Yeah, you got me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Nice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lovely. Uh, Vivek, lost in six days, Chives. Uh, love the space. Thank you very much for for holding it and continuing to spread the the DRS uh, information. Um, a lot of good stuff discussed. Uh, just wanted, you know, to be able to say that it's, it is it is great to be able to present, you know, the facts uh, so that people can, can make up their own mind with, how they choose to spend their own money, um, allowing you know freedom to speak is equally important as researching the stuff uh, for yourself as well. So you you guys have done a great job in in, in that. Um, what I think is is counterintuitive to towards all of it is is stating things as definitive. Um, for example, you know options were mentioned. Personally, I don't uh, play them often. Yeah, I can't hear you um, speaking. But- I'm going to drop down. Personally, I don't play them often, but that shouldn't influence others to do uh, what they like. Um, you know, same as me talking about DRS. It doesn't imply that, you know, they should go out and DRS right away. Um, and remember, you know, DFE had almost all his positions in GME and even Ryan Cohen bought options in, in Bed Bath. So I think sharing both angles uh, is important and, and and, you know, less productive is making firm statements uh, that can be that can be discussed uh, within a group. So good job. Love what you do. Thank you. Yeah, I like I, I see options do work for some people. And those are the people who tell me to try it. And they, they yeah, use all the all the jargon. And then I, I glaze over. I'm like, I, this is like learning coding language. It's like having to whole, learn literally a whole new language uh, and learning. <laughs> All the uh, all the crazy little in jokes that have happened with the the DRS and, and GME community over the past few years it's like a whole language into itself now. But uh, but yeah, it's been it's been great chatting with everyone tonight. It's uh, some real good conversations. Um, lots to ponder as well about the wider markets. There's so many more reasons, in my opinion, to to directly register stuff. Uh, and, and have self-custody of my assets but uh, yeah um, hopefully we'll um, we don't have stuff in the nest but we'll we'll dig some links out for some of the things that were discussed in the past hour uh, for for the show notes when it comes out as a podcast because um, we want you know this stuff to just be available uh, check out our, our previous episodes as well um, We've got links to it 
uh well on uh it's on my profile you literally it's the pin tweet on my profile uh it's the link tree you can get it literally anywhere podcasts uh listen to um and uh yeah join us again hopefully next week as well for uh another episode of taking stock um we've got some interesting topics lined up i'm just pulling up the the old list now uh i can't remember i think oh yeah hopefully the the next thing we're going to be getting into is a overall history of market crashes and i'm one i'm very curious to see just how many of them are based on people over leveraging themselves and then blaming it on the public because uh, <laughs> that seems to be the general uh theme of, of the ones that we've covered in in our previous episodes with the establishment of the federal reserve and the dtc uh but yeah uh it's been great having everyone here having you all listen and interact and everything and uh hopefully we can hear from more of you soon as well on future episodes uh and uh yeah hope everyone has a great week and we'll, we'll catch you all next week goodbye